Hi, and welcome to another episode of Love Versify. And today in the studio, we've got Patrick Burns with us. Hello. And we've got Zach Giorgio. Hi. Um, Patrick, uh, can you just tell us a bit about yourself, first of all? Let's start there. Uh, I'm the managing director of a company called Packnet Limited. We're based in central Manchester. We're a telecommunications company. We specialize in voice over IP technologies and deliver telephony services to businesses right across the UK from you know, down in Cornwall to the metropolitan areas, Manchester, London, all of those things, all the way up into Scotland and Northern Ireland. We've been doing that since 2003, and there's about 13 people in our team, just based across the road in the Northern Core. I bet you've seen some changes in Manchester since 2003. <laughs> just a few. Yeah. <laughs> when we first... Um, embarked on what we do in that we were doing it we weren't doing telecommunications we did work in the communications sector but we were software developers building um back-end software solutions for telecoms companies and we had a small team of four or five people with me project managing and talking to fairly large organizations at that time uh, what used to be the old year communications which was the technology side of united utilities and then we worked with um, those who were the technology side of some of the Scottish energy companies and all of those things. It was kind of fun, to be honest, but it was kind of hard work as well. Working for big companies, what do they do well? Well, they generate lots of customers. What do they not do well? Pay their small suppliers. <laughs> they were a pain in the backside to get money out of, so you'd have difficult cash flow issues. Yeah. You know, they were on plus. Yeah, 90, 120 days, those kind of things. So it made for a few sleepless nights. But yeah. we changed the focus of the business entirely then in 2008. You know, I came to the decision that we had to do something different because having 90% of your cash coming in through two different clients, if one of them decides to say, fine, see you later, I'm going to go and find someone else, then you're, you know, proverbially up the creek without a paddle, as it were. <laughs> and we, we and I had long conversations about what we should do as a technology business. And we made some pretty pretty easy decisions. We, we looked at the things to start off with that people do the most. We ruled out dying because I didn't want to be an undertaker. <laughs> and we ruled out, weirdly, we ruled out, you know, building software for simple things like uh, somebody came to us once upon a time and asked to build a solution for all the taxi drivers in Manchester. Right. Not thinking that Uber would be a big thing or anything like that in the future. <laughs> so we bypassed on that one and came down on the idea that talking was one of the simple things. And the other thing that we had was, you know, is there a way of disrupting that technology? And in 2008, just after the big financial crash, there were two ways of disrupting that. People wanted to reduce costs and the technology of delivery of that completely changed. You know, the internet had sort of grown up through the late 90s. Matured a bit, didn't it? Matured a bit. Yeah. The, the network inside the UK facilitated to be able to send or be able to use it to deliver the technology that we wanted. And combined with you know the financial crash where people were looking to really save money, we had a period of about three years where, for want of better words, we, we literally didn't have to find business. It walked straight in through the door. You know, we yeah. were we were the first people to push it heavily you know well not first people because there were about probably 10 15 other people independent telecoms companies not the big huge behemoths like vodafone and ee and all of that that were doing it and we pushed the marketing quite heavily through google and the usual methods and the sales people that i had working for me at that time were literally facilitating new business they weren't going out and finding it 
I'd be lying if I said that's the way it is now. It's completely different, you know. That again, from two thousand and eight till twenty fifteen, and from twenty fifteen to twenty nineteen, it's it's the market's consolidated. It's much harder to acquire clients, and it's a different world. And the world change, you know, technology moves on at a pace. It doesn't stop for anyone or anything. So I was just going to say, you know, we've known each other for about three years now, and uh, since we have, we've had a good laugh about stuff, and we've talked a lot about Manchester as well. How have you found the city change in regards to whether that be talent or just generally? I think once once upon a time, you know, it was very hard to get people to come to Manchester as a city. It had a little bit of a 90s image reputation for being either famous for one of two things, drive-by shootings or going to the Hacienda. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think after, for those of us who remember when the Commonwealth Games happened in the city, yeah, yeah, it really gave the city a bit of vibrancy and a bit of life and it kicked on and everybody who lived in and around town could feel it. You, can, you could see things changing. You know, the, um, the stadium over in, in Eastland sort of regenerated that side of town and that sort of infectious positive way of looking at Manchester sort of spread into the city centre. The businesses really started I think to look at central Manchester as a realistic option you know again the infrastructure made a big change on that and you had more people investing into the city. At that point in time you know it was fairly fairly cheap to work here and fairly easy to if you got in front of the right people who you wanted to convince to come and work for you here that was a fairly easy sell. Now it's a little bit different again and stuff because you've got, you know, a lot of people then looked at Manchester and went, bloody hell, the rent's cheap up there. But, yeah. you know, it's, well, yeah. let, let's let's move north and um, pick one of the cities, be it Manchester, Liverpool or Leeds. And that drive of businesses moving north to reduce their costs, it's the same everywhere. If you get enough of them, then what's it going to do? Well, it's going to do the inverse, isn't it? And start yeah, to push everything back up again so that you end up at the same place that you tried yeah. to get out of. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like you say, you know, um, I think it always had the potential, didn't it, to become a big city. And I think more bigger players moved up, BBC, etc. I think the airport's got a big say in it as well because what it's done is it's allowed the global people to come in you know we talk about a lot of Chinese money coming into the city all these buildings that are shooting up again so this this as we say it had the potential is it now starting to fulfill the potential I mean you know, how we're looking the tech area I mean John you're a software developer as well and obviously Patrick's yeah. business is, is software development how do we find that tech piece as well how have we gone down that route on top of that I think one thing that's really interesting is something you said was about infrastructure that brought, um, you know, it's bringing all that to Manchester. But a really important part of that infrastructure was actually the internet itself and people could work remotely or work remotely one day a week or work from wherever. So that that's something that's allowed the businesses to grow in the city without necessarily bringing people in. And then they've invested in the properties and the flats and the apartments and now people are moving back to the city. And now it's going to, as you say, it's flipped back the other way. So I think it's a huge hub for tech now. So do you reckon, Patrick, um, since 2003, Patnet's been around, hasn't yeah. it? Um, do you think in the past five years since the likes of the BBC, I think it's a bit earlier than that, but mm. since the likes of BBC and a lot of these big companies have started coming, have you seen an even bigger shift and a bigger, even bigger change and almost like a faster scale um, going on? I think what, you, what you've started to definitely get and what I've seen is the the ability to acquire new people with the right skill set is definitely much harder now. But conversely, if you aren't a business owner and you 
you're not one of the entrepreneurs that's driving all of that stuff and you're yeah. in the market uh, who, as an employee and someone who wants to move around, you've got infinite choice to jump around from place to place to place, which for guys like me who run businesses, utterly infuriates me and it drives me completely crazy. You know, sort of works for me to be fair, but... <laughs> yeah. You're part yeah. of the problem rather than part of the solutions. <laughs> but, you know, because... And then that in turn has, you know, I could probably harp on a lot about the quality of the people that come through here. There are undoubtedly a lot of very fine technology people that work in Manchester. Conversely, there are a lot of overrated uh, people who believe that they should be paid exorbitant levels of wage. And that is just pushing wage inflation in Manchester up up to quite, um, I wouldn't say unsustainable levels, but it's certainly getting towards it. That's really interesting because something that, Jonathan put on your um, LinkedIn a question recently about big companies who've got deep pockets who are paying staff well above the going rate hmm. and inflating the market. And what you know, what do you do about that? As you, this is you rightly say, these people are probably being overpaid. Yeah. And so there's a bit, bit of a problem here. It's a problem for the market. It's also a problem for those individuals because they're kind of they've got these golden handcuffs. It's it's tough, isn't it? I mean, we we've talked about it a lot. You know, it, inevitably it always comes down to supply and demand. You know, unfortunately, it's just the way yeah. it is. However, you know, when you look at it from some of these bigger players that have moved from the south to the north, what's interesting about it is is that they've done it to probably cost cut to a degree because it's so much more uh, efficient and cost wise yeah. to, to be here than, than down south so for them it's probably even if they're paying 20 or 25 percent more than the market's saying here it's probably 20 or 25 percent cheaper than what they were paying in the yeah. first place anyway and it again causes a new vacuum because what is acceptable and still cost saving for them isn't necessarily as effective for people. Yeah, the businesses here. who've been here for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. But is it exactly. sensible for that business to do that? Because if they're paying over the market odds, the kind of individual they're attracting is not, they're not motivated appropriately, I think. If people don't want to come to work because they enjoy their work and they're only motivated by the financial rewards, then how are they going to get the, the right people? Oh, yeah. I, I just wonder, like, if you go back to 2003, company culture, was that even something people talked a lot about? Because I think now that's what people want. They, people buy into the whole package, right? You'll know this, Zach, because you'll be, you're, you know, you're trying to get developers to move into companies, and you're saying, yeah, the tech is this. This is what we can. The money is this. Okay, we need to know what that is. But this is what they do. This is what else they do. This is how they develop you. These are the, I'm slightly flipping, but you know, ping pong tables. But it's, but it's the whole package. It's not just one thing. You can't, you yeah. can't say, here's your job, and you can knock off at five thirty and. Thank you very much for your contribution. People want, it's not, people talk about work-life balance, but it's actually a blend, isn't it? To some, some people talk about this work-life blend, so that they get something out of work. That the, the, the first businesses that I worked in in Manchester, I, I worked in, in various places around Trafford Park, and if you'd have spoken to someone about, you know, <laughs> how, how lovely are your surroundings and stuff like that, you'd have, you'd have possibly ended up in the canal. Uh, you know? But... But you're, you're right, it is about people asking, well, can, can I have a photograph of your offices so I can see where I'm going to work and stuff yeah. like that, you know, and how ergonomic is my chair? And and that that's all good, and I think everybody wants to have a nice environment to work in. Mm. At the end of the day, however, you still got to pay your bills and you still got to um, make sure that you're making some money so that everybody can have a decent life and move, move it all forward. 
culturally for the businesses that I worked in again in the past it was very much you start at nine you finish at half five get on me a job and then talk yeah, to yeah. us once a year about your personal review or whatever it wasn't about your surroundings you literally just made sure you did your job and if you didn't somebody called you out and then you just <laughs> you, you, you got on with it there was no HR was there <laughs> well, if if there were, they, they they were very much you know um, of the old school sort of nineteen seventies approach of what you're moaning about. Just get on with it, yeah, and stuff like that. Because next time I see you in here and stuff, you know, I don't really want to talk to you. But now it definitely is about you have to look at your people right across the board. And I mean, the business that we run, we don't try and run it completely like a family business, but we certainly try and have some of those moral slash ethical ways of looking at it you know if you've got people in your team who you know are struggling make sure they're covered off if they've got something else going on in their life talk to them find out what it is about it and stuff i mean you should be doing that as a business owner anyway yeah. I, in my opinion yeah. but knowing some of those things up front and not being afraid to you know if people have got even if you go into the mental health sphere and stuff like that and they in some cases people are very reticent to bring anything up like that in their interviews and stuff like that because they think if I talk about that stuff they're instantly just going to go I'm a problem see you later yeah, yeah. but in reality they're not just everybody's got their own crap going on in their life everyone sat around this table will have at some point had some kind of adversity and I think if you're all, if you're owning and running a business you're going to come across all variations of that within the people who work for you yeah don't be too worried by it and stuff like that. It's, it's just it's just the norm, for yeah. I, I think. And I, I think that businesses shouldn't be too het up by ensuring that every person that they have is morally perfect, morally right, does everything by the book. Because name me 10 people that really do that anywhere in the world yeah. that are like yeah. that. Be realistic about it. Be realistic, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, it. just on the point of like salaries, the, the one expression I heard that I think rings through is like, take money off the table, make it not an issue for that employee, make sure you're paying them appropriately, and then you can focus in on what you can use a business can do and what you that person can achieve and look at them and their development, what their aspirations are. Some people who are incredibly talented don't want to move up the ranks necessarily. And you have to acknowledge that as well and, and nurture those people. Right? And it's not all about promotion or becoming the number of people who've told me I work in software right the number of software people who have been promoted to managers and go well, I don't have to manage people <laughs> yeah, they get freaked out straight away yeah, and, yeah but but that's the only way and it's not just in software because I've run into a um, I was at a nursing event mental health nursing event the other week and they said exactly the same thing so I guess it must be a universal issue you start promoting people well, they want more money so they have to take on more responsibility that means looking after people and that means yeah. do it, not doing the job that they love doing. And I think that's a real tragedy, that, really. Yeah. That is a really good point because, you know, what, as a society, what, what have we created culturally? We basically say that to move up the food chain, you have to be a manager. You have to have a team of people that work underneath you and all that. But a lot of people just aren't made for that stuff. They're great individual human beings and they work really great as part of a team. But you stand in front of that team and say, right, they're your responsibility now and stuff like that. You know, they do yeah. run out the door clocking. And it is like you say, you know, I think it's a business owner's responsibility to identify that talent and to identify with the actual employees themselves what they want. You know, do they want career progression yeah. in this route? Do they want career progression in that route? I mean, just, just flipping it back a little bit, I think what's interesting for me, obviously on the IT tech side, I think... Having discussed the salaries being out of kilter, supply and demand, where they are now, I think the salaries have risen. 
um, to where they are. So I think salary is one thing. Um, and I think the other thing that I found a lot, and I saw it happen uh, very much so, probably about five or six years ago. It's still happening, but we've got a pool table. We've got a ping pong table. We um, have got a, um, a Commodore 64. It used to be yeah. a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I think it's called a PlayStation or a Wii or something. <laughs> Come on, Sam. <laughs> some, some wizardry. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that was like great and so on. But I think actually working in the tech sector, you tend to find that the key things are obviously is the salaries is there or thereabouts. The work-life balance is there or thereabouts. And what I find really important, and, and I still see this now, is I'm a working on cool tech. I'm yeah. a working on cool projects. The minute I mention, yeah, I've got a dev role and it's this legacy code, or I say it's a greenfield project, it's a completely different reaction that I get. Yeah. So I think it's about the combination of things that we talk about with people that get them to come to you as well. You know, I think, don't necessarily think it is about the pool table anymore. I think it's very much more about what we're going to be doing and is it a nice place to work as well as it's paying me probably around the salary. Yeah, the, the various or the various teams within my business, the, the area or the sector that has the highest rotation of people has always been the developers and the programmers and yeah. stuff for that that reason that they they enjoy the tasks that we put in front of them in those first initial periods yeah. um, because we're dealing with problems that are really based around some smart very cutting edge and smart technology but our, our problems are all really to do with scale and the amount of data that they're having to crunch and churn and play with and those kind of things and dealing yeah. with you know sort of big data problems but as you say once they've grasped that or got that concept you have to keep the technology that they're being using experiencing learning about you have to keep it relevant otherwise that you know they're going to look at the field next door and go well that looks like a better field yeah. and they're doing the hot new stuff over there and then they move on i think though to, to sort of temper that off sometimes you can have people who are too quick to want to move and the, the field across the way is too green. Um, yeah. one, one of the things that I always think about and I have other colleagues that are either trying to start up new businesses or are running new businesses and they really find it difficult to both get the proposition and what they're trying to deliver and what they're trying to build really rounded yeah. so that it's relevant in today's world. Yeah. And then it's, they might have the greatest idea in the world but in this currency of modern internet and how people find you well how the hell do they get found and does it cost them the earth to be found you know have they got enough of that marketing budget have they got enough even to be found in their local sphere what was what's one of the big differences between 2003 and now well manchester used to be a fairly well-known business community especially in the technology se <laughs> se segments and all of those it, it, you could for us, we all of our kit exists in a data centre. What used to be Tele City is now Equinix down the road, and just on the edge of Hume. And we were based 500 yards away from that technology centre. And you knew all the tech businesses because when you were in the data centre, their engineers would come out and they'd go out and you'd find out who was who. Now, just being found inside Manchester can be a real struggle because how do people find stuff? Well, they don't walk around the corner and or live, work on a science park. They go to Google and type in, yeah, how do yeah. I find this, that, and the other? And unless you're paying to be found yeah. there, it's a real struggle. So yeah. it's, it's not as easy. I mean, the old-fashioned ways of getting out and about and talking to people and doing what we're doing here, it still exists, but it's 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 harder to be relevant these days. Yeah. And yeah. 
if it's harder to be relevant than to be found, how do you back up your proposition of having a successful business and getting customers and paying your bills and having enough left over to have a nice, comfortable life? Or in Zach's case, you know, your third Ferrari or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Don't what, sell my wife. What, um, what are the challenges then? What other challenges do you think are facing startups now? You're not obviously in startup mode anymore, but and you just mentioned that one. What, what else do you think? Or maybe you, Zach, what do you think startups are facing? Because they've, if they've got a good idea and they can get the funding, they're off and away. But two years down the road, they could be turning over. And that does happen, right? I mean, we know that. That's invested startups turn over all the time. That's the model, in fact. I think my, my first thought is, is you, you, if you've got the funding, obviously, when you set a business up, we all know what that's like. It, it's, can you sleep at night? Have I got enough money? Can I self-fund for so long? When am I going to start making money, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've got the funding, I think the same issues ironically are the same issues that have been forever it comes down to people unless you've got the right people in your business that are able to help you grow it and scale it etc you know whether you've got a sandwich shop and you need somebody who can come in there and help you or whether you're running a tech business and you've got the right developer it's people people are the ones that are the biggest challenge yeah. You know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm recruitment. <laughs> yeah. I'm not just plugging the service. Yeah. But it is, you know, and I think everyone would say exactly the same thing. If they could always get the right people, then ultimately they'd continue to grow the business most of the time. I think the the right people are absolutely vital, but I still go back to the most people if they set out their perfect business, you know, would probably think that they need more people to do something than they than they really need, mm. you know getting the proposition right, getting the core message of what your business is about and why it's beneficial to be able to sell that into other business and then buying onto it. You have to flush that out. In this, you know, in 2019, what's the chances that you've got a really, truly crystal clear, sound, new idea, technology-wise? You know, how many people really come up with that that yeah. often? It's not, just a combination not. of, it's usually mixing two other ideas together, yeah. isn't it? Or yeah. convergence con of some, some kind of kind. composite idea that, yeah. that, that just falls into a place and is right for its particular point in time. Yeah. You know, my own business, it was about talking. That was the simple thing right at the heart of it. What do people have to do every day? They have to talk. Let's try and make money off the back of that. Was there a disruptive way of delivering that technology? Yes, there was. The internet. You know, as opposed to putting copper wires in the ground and yeah. needing to grow BT, in which case I needed several million employees and more money than God. But now, well, if you if you can get that defined and you can get the funding, and getting funding is still not as as straightforward as as, as most people would believe it. You know, the banks are still pretty tight on their purse yeah. strings. They, you know, unless you've got some of your own cash and you want the front that they're a little bit reticent on it. And then just you know having the conviction to be able to drive that forward. What's the next thing you got to do then? convince customers that you're not a crazy person and, and get them on board you know and those first customers those pioneers that buy into what you're doing really look after them really cherish those relationships and build upon them and, and try and get them to help you spread the world about word about what you're doing and why it's good and all of those things and if you can get that going then you're onto something if you can't get that momentum behind it and i take the point Zach, about good people but if you can't get that initial shoots of you know new leaves whatever it is green shoots the green shoots that's the word i'm looking for the best people in the world won't save you anyway yeah you, you have yeah. you have to have that conviction to be able to move it forward and that, that comes from the senior people inside the business yeah definitely i'm up you know for me i'm a massive believer in it's only you it's up to you 
you know, unless you're a doctor and a brain surgeon, you're doing something that fundamentally when it comes to jobs like ours, sales jobs or running your own business, it's down to your desire and your attitude to how you drive it forward. And like you say, your senior sales team or your senior team that sits around you, they're the key drivers on this to take it to the next level. I mean, you know, you, you've been similar time as, as me, what, three years yeah, now? Yeah, three, just over three, nearly you know, four. How have you found it setting up a, a tech business? Growing a business is a challenge and it's a, it's a shifting landscape every year it's different and every business has a different profile the size of your company affects your profile and i think working that out is really hard right now navigating the digital space and the physical space are really challenging yeah and it's interesting isn't it because it really is about the science that sits behind it once you've got yourself to a certain level and it's yeah. amazing for me how many businesses still don't actually understand what their customer base actually looks like. It's it, it's bizarre. You know, the amount of companies that I've been to, and I've been in recruiting for 23 years, 24 years nearly now, and every single time I walk into a room and I say to a HR director or CEO, what's your resource plan for the next 12 months? And they look at me like, what? Resource plan? Don't want to be thinking about that. <laughs> 12 months. <laughs> You know, but it, it is, it's fascinating and how you can get to that size quickly. Like you say, you know, you can get there, can't you? And then all of a sudden when you get there, it's like, well, we're making money now, but are we making it? Where's it coming from? Where's it looking at? What is what is the profile of that client? And I think that's where you're right. You can steal a march at that point because that's when you can really drill down and say to yourself, okay, well, this is a market that's doing very well for us or, or so on and really go after that particular piece. You know, in a competing market where the giants are throwing money behind things, yeah. um, what do you do to to for product development? How do you go about it? You know, is it just like, oh, a client suggests something, maybe we'll have a look at that or is it a bit? Is there a bit more of a process around it? There is a bit of engagement with clients to say, you know, what, what, are, what, are, what is it that you want and ask the question on a regular basis. You know, I'd be lying if I said that out of our client base that you probably get 10% that will engage with you back yeah. into it because you're asking them to take time out of their day to think about <laughs> what, you, yeah. what you can sell to them tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but some of them do that. From our side, yeah, we probably look over the fence at some of the competitors and all of those things. And there are natural trends towards more data, more analysis, and, and simply giving people ways of, uh, how can I put this? giving them access to the things that they're doing on your platform and then almost letting them churn that data and turn it into relevant reporting or analytics or whatever it is that sits behind it. So so a lot of what we've seen now is a shift towards just methods, methods that they can talk to our network or methods that they can harvest data and, and, and bring it back in-house to them so that they can apply yeah. it to sector A, sector B, sector C, whatever's inside their business. But the the new the new product side of it, it's 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 kind of hard. The, the the technology sphere for telecommunications, there there was a you know this great idea a few you know maybe five years ago, three years ago, whatever it was that the mobile would be all things to all people. The mobile phone, and mm -hmm. you would have a mobile phone that you allowed to make your phone calls, and you would just have a various different apps on it that did everything. Easily enough, inside most businesses, even if we look out the windows of where we're doing the podcast from. Everybody's got a normal traditional phone on their desk. Businesses still want that yeah. dual method of contacting somebody at their desk. But 
what I, what we have seen is that within the telecoms and communications sector, yeah, you the slices of the niche areas that you can work in are getting thinner and thinner. And the reason for that is that the larger organizations, once they find a niche that they operate inside, they're really, really trying to maximize that. You know, you take, going back to 2003, well, how did we all chat on instant message? Well, random little app that you had running on it. Now, what have you got the big players in that space? Well, Slack, and they try and maximize that by tying their little platform or their rather massive platform into every <laughs> aspect of what you do in your business from CRM to accounting to X, Y, and Z, things you haven't even thought about. Everyone who's identified and hang, hung their hat on their niche wants to get as much money out of that sector. And what you see is that the American companies are actually very, very good at doing that. And what the British and European companies, the big technology companies that are really, we haven't really got huge met or huge companies that do that, this side of the pond to yeah. use to use a phrase. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the, the big tech companies that are based out of London or based out of Manchester, England even. Um, yeah. it, it's interesting on that because I went to an event, a GP Bullhound event the other day, which was about tech titans, and it was talking pretty much about that point that if you are a disruptor um, and you do get funding and all of a sudden something like uh, Instagram starts taking off, well, these big players like your Facebooks of this world just come and take you out, just buy you. Yeah. Yeah. If they don't buy you, they set something else up to run in parallel to compete with to you crush so that you. they can take a slice. <laughs> yeah. So so it's back it's back to that 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 fundamental of who's picking up the really genuinely fresh crystal clear tech ideas and are they able to move it from an idea into scale? Yeah, and it's um and this particular um event that I went to like you sort of saying there they were talking about I com- I've never heard of them before but TikTok which oh, is yeah. something that's like in Hong Kong, very much so, and China, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, I saying. have a daughter who's absolutely fanatic about it, so it's uh, right. And they, they were they were sort of saying that it was fascinating. It's probably one of the the only companies that hasn't been taken out by one of these big players and had loads of money thrown at it. Everybody else, you know, like from your Instagrams taking over the Snapchat world and so on. Um, and it was just like just bizarre that they were able to get to where they've got to without somebody taking them out because yeah. everybody takes them out, like you say. If 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 they don't own it, they want to own it. <laughs> How are you finding opening those doors to get in front of people? You know, in this 21st century, you know, just getting through 20% of it now, 2020 next year. Back to that idea of how do you market yourself and get open a door to get in in front of someone rather than hundreds of phone calls and somebody says, yeah, come on in and talk to me. You, do you know, ironically, we talk about Manchester being a big place now, but it's still quite a small place. Right. It was a lot smaller 20 years ago, as we know, where everyone yeah. used to know each other. But I've personally found setting up the business and growing the business initially through my network was really, really quite refreshing because so many people were like wanting to help at the start and then you do a good service for them and then before you know it, they've recommended you on and recommend you on and recommend you on yeah. and this is where I found Manchester still a very very small place people do look after each other which I think is fantastic however it's now about the scalability like you said it's not just about looking at the science of where we're making that business oh what's your networks like <laughs> networks sort of starting to move on How, however they have recommended you out the next stage is, is when you've got loads and loads of people who you've got to feed. And I think fortunately, we're just in a really, really 
again, supply and demand market, you know, ultimately when we're talking to candidates, if we think those candidates are good, we're good at making sure our data's good on the system so we know where they should go. So then what happens is we then send those candidates out to the market and people will come back to us and say, we're interested to have a little look at this person for whatever reason it may be. And then we then move on to the how we work with people because we're not your, you know, it might be a start point of looking at skills. However, something you alluded to earlier on, Patrick, which was proposition. Once we start talking to somebody, we're all about understanding why somebody wants to work there. What's the proposition? What's it all about? Not just here's a CV, hope that fits and matches because that's not going to get you anywhere in two or three years' time because the candidate will just leave. You're absolutely right. You have to find out what people want, what they're about, what makes them tick because, yeah, all, all businesses are different. I think everybody on their best days would like you know their business to be super cool, great for all their employees, great for all the staff, making lots of money and we all get fantastic bonuses at the end of the year but, but ultimately it's, it's really about knowing what makes a business tick and where they're probably where some of their weaknesses are and how you can help them get over that and move forward with the, the, with the right people and Chroma do that really well <laughs> <laughs> I'll still never forget that meeting you, you were one of I the first people that I, that I came to see and I'll just never forget walking in there and uh, you came downstairs it was at the old place and you came downstairs and you looked at me and you were like why is he not in a suit? Why is he not telling me what to do? And by the time we finished talking, you were like, yeah, we can work together. <laughs> that was it. So Brilliant. Thank you very much. That's been an absolute fantastic chat, Patrick. Really enjoyed it. Found Thanks, out a lot guys. of interesting it's things. Good fun. Thank you, Zach, as well. Um, and thank you all for listening. Um, hope you enjoy the podcast. Give us some feedback. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye.